a billionaire's in boxes production. Hello and welcome to this edition of Billionaires in Boxes. I'm your host as always, Phil Paluccia. Uh, great to be here. I am joined by David Angel from the Sales Network. Now, this is going to be awesome. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this, mate. I really am. And you know what? We were having a talk in our, uh, our virtual green room, as I like to call it, ahead <laughs> of the show. And um, I was saying, you know, there's, I've been on a real interesting journey with sales myself, even intensely over the last sort of six to 12 months. And I think that a lot of people are going to get an awful lot of value from this. And hopefully I can even understand my own process a bit better from this conversation. So thank you so much for, for giving up your time. No, really good. I think when we spoke God, a week or two ago when we first spoke, and I mean, I think we spoke for about 45 minutes. The time just flew by. Um, uh, so yeah, really looking forward to this. Yeah, do you know what? And I think so many people will be listening to this already and their, their palms are getting sweaty and, uh, you know, they're getting that little bit of a shiver because there's something about the word sales that I think makes a lot of people quite nervous. <laughs> and, um, I, and I would have used to include myself in that, to be honest. And, and we were saying just off air now that when you're often taught sales in the business environment, uh, it's, you know, you, you, you start to associate things with sales that I don't think are actually associated with sales. You know, sales becomes this, this thing, this barrier that must be overcome, um, rather than a process of building new relationships with people and finding who you resonate with. And actually, when you get it right, sales is a lot of fun. Yeah, very um, much. Great part of the process. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think for, for a lot of people out there, their experience with sales has been a bad one. Um, and I always compare it with uh, relationships. Um, some people out there have had a yep. shocking time in relationships and it can put you off and make you want to stay single for a bit. But then after a while, you sort of have to use it as a learning curve and know where you want to go. Um, and I think um, that's the same with sales. It's done badly in a lot of places and it's a very generic for, um, word, sales, and it affects any business out there. So it's not difficult to find some bad ones in there. No, absolutely not. Look, we'll we'll dive into a lot of this. I'm I'm really keen to to really sort of dissect this a lot more. But if we can, for our listeners and our audience that haven't come across you before, do you want to just kind of give us a bit of an introduction as to as to who you are and what you're all about? Yeah, cool. So I'm David Angel. Um, I present the Sales Network, which is an online interactive um, training platform, which is really giving you all the t- sort of tips, hacks, techniques, what you ever might need. For a sales environment, um, it came about. I, I've been in sales for God knows, touching twenty years, which worries me when I even say it. And <laughs> you know, I was never a natural salesperson. I actually struggled at sales uh, at the start. I remember doing door to door, and I was not great. I was getting twos, people were getting fives. I'm like, I work hard. Um, I'm putting in the efforts and all this stuff. And I wasn't getting it. It just makes you realize it's not just always about effort. I mean, if working mm. hard guaranteed results, everyone in a nine to five would be a millionaire. Because everyone's working hard. That's so, a really good point. Yeah. So, so it came about from progression, learning, becoming a good student, becoming a good student for over a decade, um, and suddenly having this wealth of knowledge, uh, build up businesses. I've had loads of stuff and, um, Ended up moving into doing coaching because it's become a passion of mine. Um, and I got to the stage where I was doing it for businesses. And businesses want you there all the time, which is great, but it means you can't expand yourself because you can't be in mm. two places. And someone literally said, I need two of you, or you need two of you, one to come here and one to go there. And someone said to me, why don't you just put this online? Um, and then people can access it when they need it around their own time schedule. And that's literally what happens. And now I coach um through the platform one-on-one uh, from everything from sales and business just to, to help people get a clearer concept of what to do and when and like you've literally just said so many people out there have a bad experience in sales so it puts them off in their mm. own business going at it all, all, all uh, as much as they could mm. and you know what i've, I've certainly made that mistake in my business I, and I, I i'm not ashamed to admit it you know when I first set up my business and before I kind of discovered the power of sort of digital relationship building and using podcasting and all that sort of stuff, my first sort of attempts at resolving that situation was to hire salespeople because I kind of, uh, I tried to hire the things that I didn't want Mm. to do. (laughs) Um, And I think a lot of that came from, 
I was actually really good at cold calling. I was really good at cold calling, probably because I've got the gift of the gab, I guess, which is why I'm now on radio and podcast. But um, I was really good at it. I used to just talk people down to the point where I wore them down and they would buy to shut me up, I think <laughs> is probably the, the, the best way to put it. Um, but actually, that didn't really do a great deal for credibility. So kind of as I uh, progressed throughout my own career and I now have my own coaching services and things that I offered, I didn't want to cold call people because yeah. I kind of felt like I'd lose authority and I, I'd, I'd, I'd lose some respect there. And I didn't want to do that, but I also didn't understand how to generate enough kind of qualified leads to be only having conversations with people that that had sort of given up their time to be there and knew what it was all about. So I, I am definitely one of those business owners who who thought, you know what, I'll, I'll hire a couple of you know, junior telesales people. They'll smash the phones, try and book appointments for me. And, and let me tell you, and, and I'll share this with our audience as well, what I learned was if you're not prepared to do it yourself and share the messages with your team and, and show them how to do it, you can't hire in this skill set. Like you, you, you have to be prepared to kind of roll your sleeves up mm. and, if nothing else, educate your team as to how you want it done. But if you don't know how you want it done, yeah, it's very, how do you very, expect very, them to know? It's very true. I think this is the whole thing that a lot of people have. Say, if you're trying to hire people, like say for telesales, a lot of people will come into telesales as a starting point for a sales career. Some people mm-hmm. are seasoned telesales people, but you've got people who have also done it for a lifetime and don't know what the heck they're doing. So it's very difficult yeah, hiring telesales people because everyone's great in an interview. So it's hard. Yeah. And then you don't want to give people the benefit of the doubt. And you know, some people might take a bit of time to get into the process. So it can be very hard. So if you're not, if you're not experienced in sales, Mm-hmm. it's very hard to be able to spot them. If you're a footballer, you can spot if someone's any good at football. In sales, yes. even as an expert, even as someone who's been doing it for so much time, I can still get the pull, wall pulled over my eyes. But imagine if you get the right people, you still need to make sure that they are on a path, on a trajectory, a trajectory even, get the words out. Um, mm. They're hitting their potential. And if you just think you can step a couple of salespeople in there, a room, with some leads and they're going to become inspired. It's hard to, it's hard for them to do. Um, it takes a lot of time and effort and you want, everyone wants to progress, but no one wants to do the work yes. that gets to it. And salespeople are great at convincing people why. People, salespeople are often better at selling reasons why they don't do something than actually doing the very thing you want them to do. Yeah, that's also very true. But you know what? I think you also don't know what you don't know, do you? No. So I think there's, there's definitely an element of that when it comes to um, hiring people that are going to be good at this part of your business. If you don't know how you want it done, or you're not good at this part of this business, you're you're kind of flying blind a little bit. Yes, and there is a lot of there's a lot of throwing. Oh, I mean, I'll be careful not to swear because we're on radio, but there's a lot of throwing stuff at a wall and hoping something will stick. Yes. Um, and and I think that's a difficult way of doing it. Whereas you and I had, you know, we had a fascinating conversation, obviously. As you well know, uh, and many of our listeners will now, obviously, I specialize in um, digital relationship building. Mm. So I always say, you know, for me, it's it's about working with the people who you resonate with and, and where you want. And I love the fact that you've taken your training online because that really plays into that. Because not not least of all, because people can obviously access it from anywhere they want and, and do it whenever. But also the fact that it now stops you only being able to work with clients within an X mile radius of where you yeah, live and work because you have to go there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Different. I think that was one of the really interesting things I found as well. Um, I've got people in the States that are, that, are, that are on this. Now, imagine trying to train people without any tools pre-internet. It's very difficult yeah. to do. And coming to that point, actually, with the internet, this is one thing I want to say to a lot of people out there. If you took the, if you go, imagine going into a sales job now and you don't have the internet for a month, how would you sell? How would you do? I mean, a lot of people, we're so used to having the internet at our fingertips, and we think it's doing a lot of job. But a lot of the time with the internet, you're putting a lot of lines in the water. Yeah. Direct selling, selling on the phone, face-to-face, whatever it might be, you're getting instant reactions, instant results, instant failure. Mm. Um, and, and I think a lot of salespeople, it, if, it, if you took them off the internet for a month and crash course on face-to-face or phone sales and only that, and um, mm. you see salespeople rocket overall. And then when you give them a tool like the internet, they'll use it even more, uh, which I think is one of the big things now. And I think a lot of people seem to resonate that, especially when I talk to now, people are like my students, 
because most of these people out there, they come into it with the internet as their forefront. So you're almost marketing rather than actually selling. Um, yes. And there's a cross line between the two because skills are very um, transferable, but there's a big difference. Um, and there suddenly, is. suddenly now I find with a lot of people, they've got a lot of experience with the digital side, and then you add on the meat of sales skills, you just see the, the, the rocket because suddenly it's like, I don't know if there's any of a trained, with like a weighted vest on and then took it off, um, you just feel so much lighter because you've had that thing weighing you down. And, and that's what enabling people with good skills does. Do you know what? I think it's been really interesting to see to see that because you can see that in the trajectory of people's careers as well. So there were people who were, let's say, pretty good at sales, you know, let's call it the 90s, so before the noughties, uh, and they were pretty decent at sales. Then the internet came about and it was like this magic new tool that they could use mm. that enhanced what they did. And they became very successful. And then now quite often the business owners, they are the people running the companies. But I think they're just as guilty now of being able to think, well, do you know what? The internet was this magic tool that really helped me to grow my career. Yeah. So they almost expect that the, the, the next generation coming through have the same knowledge. But what they forget is you, they haven't got that foundation knowledge that you had. They didn't have that pre-internet sales experience that required you to, you know, basic things. Like I have, I have, I get calls all the time, cold calls all the time. And there are some people I love having a conversation with and there are other people I can't wait for a break in the conversation to tell them to leave me alone. Yeah. Um, and and it, the, what I found, the more I've kind of dissected this is the better the person is at asking questions and listening, the better the relationship is. The more you talk at me, the less I want to buy what it is you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I, I think, you, and you've hit the nail on the head with that one there. A lot of people, their bad experience of sales is being spoken at. Um, mm. And the bad side is, if I'm, if I'm pitching you, for example, I'm doing a majority of the talking. I'm dictating the flow of the call. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But actually, a good sale is me stoking your fire, me fanning yes. you, me giving you attention, me asking you open questions where you can open up a line of conversation. And there's so many different routes to market, so many routes to sell. I think one of the big downfalls for a lot of salespeople or people in sales is in their early part of their career, they've done something bad and it somehow worked and then they thought that was the part. Um, yeah. imagine, for my, imagine you sell Ferraris, but you only sell five a year. If you went in week one and a guy actually came in, he'd already done his research, he had more money than he needed, he was happy to pay 180K and it was only 160 and he literally come in and you spoke to him for two minutes. He went, I'll take it, gave a cash and left for the car. And you're like, this is great. I'm a genius seller. I'm amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and people do that. And then they will go into it thinking that's it. But then you think of the other side and someone who's done that same job, tried loads of things, studied, learned. Then they've got that sale and they've closed five times and they've followed up properly and they've done this and given good service and they've helped them to help them. When they get the deal, they expect that to be the standard. So when they get a good deal or a quick deal or a gimme or a handover deal, they appreciate it, but they don't expect it. Um, mm. So I, I think people's experience dictate the lifestyle that they live and the way they approach their job. And unfortunately, if you've fallen into the, the trap of being good looking, for example, and you started a face-to-face -face sales and that helped you and suddenly you go into phone sales, they go, oh, well, I don't know what's changed. Well, it's because I can't see you. That was a tool mm. of yours was you were – charismatic if you're face to face you were nice to look at people enjoyed your company so it can open mm. doors and then put them on the phone they don't have that tool it can change stuff um like people say about having the face for radio this um <laughs> yeah. it, it can work in reverse definitely and do you know what there's, there's so many misconceptions that i think people pick up as well and, and labels that they give themselves when it comes to stuff like this i mean i'm seeing a lot of it at the moment with with even with my clients globally you know i'm having people come to me and say we don't know what to do. You know, we make X percentage of our sales at the major exhibitions and events yes. that we now can't go to. And it's like, you're seeing the problem, but you're not seeing the opportunity. So let's, let's flip that. Okay. So you make X amount of your sales by doing talks at, let's say three of the major events in a year. Well, you physically have to go to those events. Yeah. They're expensive to go to. Yeah, booking hotels, traveling, time out, yeah, time away from your family. 
massively. And let's be perfectly honest, all the hotels and stuff go sky high in yeah. prices around exhibitions and things. Stressful. I mean, any, anybody who's ever been to sort of Canary Wharf and done anything at the XL Center will know that anything within a sort of five to 10 mile radius is going to cost you an absolute fortune for a real dump of a little room just mm. to be able to stay there when the major exhibitions are going on. And I said to them, you know, it's travel, it's time away from your family, it's all the things that you just said, it's even just the time away from the office. Whereas at the moment, all of these events are still happening. They're just now happening virtually. And people are now having to sort of bring together different speakers. And actually, some of the event organizers I'm speaking to about these things are actually recognizing this as a serious opportunity. People, because people won't go back. Some people won't go back to the old if you could, I don't think they should. Well, I don't think they should. I, I mean, think look, be I, crazy. I, a couple of days ago, I did, I did two exhibitions on one day. I did two keynote speaking things on one day. One of them was in Australia. The, the other was in the States. The time between those two events, I couldn't even have flown it to those two it was, it, I wouldn't have been able to do it. But here I am presenting to these people. There was a, a, a company that I helped set up a gala dinner. And usually they only sell sort of 200 tickets. And it's where they raise most of their funding via this gala dinner. And they have great speakers coming and all this kind of wonderful yeah. stuff. And I said, there's a real opportunity here because you're no longer restricted by the size of the venue or the fact that you're only going to sell tickets to people within a 90-minute drive. You can attract better quality guests. You can you know, do virtual tickets for all yeah. these people and still put on an amazing event. And actually, they did, and they made far more money than they would usually do at these events. So I don't think they'll ever go back to doing those sorts of events. So much of it, I still think now. Not yet. I, and I'm amazed this hasn't happened. I don't know if it's just me. You know when you're on a Zoom call? Mm. You never any ads pop up, do you? And I'm like, how long till that happen? No. How long yeah, exactly. until we see... <laughs> it's so true. It's true, right? Imagine halfway through Very. a Zoom call, if you're on a lower plan, or, you already pay, or it's a free one, if yeah. you start any Zoom meeting, there'll be the point now. There was a point where YouTube didn't have ads. Now we are using an ad. And there'll be a mm. point where any Zoom meeting, everyone will be like, right, log on, we'll watch the ad, and then it just starts. And that will be mm-hmm. the standard. Um, and I, I don't think people should go back. When you look at a lot of these events, to go and buy a stand that you've got to say if you do six events a year, and yep. you have a stand that you've had to pay six grand for. They're expensive. Yeah, yeah. they're not cheap. You've got to get it there, stand. set it up, all this stuff. Plus, then you've got to pay for the event. So for the event, might have cost you 10000 15000 could be more, depends on your stand. You've mm. got to eat that up before you've done anything. You've got the staff to pay and this and that and all the other things. And there are also days but um, that you just won't get back. And this is the problem with stuff. When you're dealing with it and it's online, you've got it recorded. You can send mm. it to people who weren't there. You can use it for editing to get content out of it. There's so much out there. Yeah, marketing, repurpose it. Absolutely. There's so much in there that people don't get to see or they haven't you they haven't changed their glasses enough to see the opportunity that's there. We sort of when we're talking right now, this mm. is great. I mean, I've today I've got I'm talking to you, I've already been on one, I've got four different calls with different people that are, are gonna start with coaching, I've got um, a group coaching call, I've got experts. So my day's filled up massively. If I had to do that yep. face-to-face, I wouldn't have to, I'd probably have to do three things. Or other yep. people would have to come to me. It's, 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 a real, it's a real game changer, and I think people haven't quite recognized this yet. And, and for, for me, you know, I've been banging on for about five or six years now about digital relationship building. You know, I, I, often stuff that seems common sense are the things that I think people miss out on. So yeah, just an example from, from our line of work, you know, we have people that come to us and say, you know, we need to become an influencer in our field. And it's like, okay, well, why? It's like, well, because we're in central London and there's 17,000 people that do what we do. And it's like, right. So why do you need to become an influencer? And it's like, well, so we can stand out from them. And it's like, well, why don't you just not work with London? Like that? Yeah. If there's 17,000 competitors in London, but there's only 400 people that do what you do in Melbourne, it doesn't take a genius to work out your service is worth so much more. Yeah, I think the impact that you bring makes the difference. People want to be an influencer, but they're not focused on being influential. Yes, absolutely. People want the title, not the action. It comes with it. That's the irony. You can't can't be given that title. You you earn it. You end up becoming an influencer. By other people's right. What people want to do is be able to say, I'm an influencer. And they're not even that bothered with other people, believe it. They want to tell everyone, they want it on the buyer, I'm an influencer. 
The reason yeah. I'm a sales coach is because I coach in sales. If you're yeah. an influencer, where are you influencing? How are you influencing? What influence Who are you influencing? backbone do you have or structures do you have? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Are you at events going to high schools talking to kids about how to do this? Are you in businesses? Are you working with charities? Are you doing keynote speaks, speaking? All these things make you influential. But a lot of people mm-hmm. are really wanting to be an influencer because they want to get paid for sponsored ads for their yeah. lifestyle so they can travel the world and go to Nikki Beats and do a, get free champagne. But you can't call yourself an influencer. That's other the point. People like, I, exactly. Other people call you an influencer. I mean, there, there are still titles that make me uncomfortable. Like uh, I am often, because of what I do, I'm introduced as either an expert in podcasting or an expert in digital relationship building. I actually don't like the phrase expert because the industry changes so quickly. Even if I was an expert yesterday, it doesn't mean I am today. But that's also why um, you are that person that you are and probably more why you are actually an expert because you don't want the title. Mm-mm. You do the action. It's too much pressure. Yeah, yeah. But that's <laughs> the thing with it. But that also makes you strive to be the person you are. A lot of people that, are, that want the title of something don't want to do the consider. They're trying to they see becoming an, known as an influencer as the finishing line. And actually, yeah. if you're being influential, that's a continual cycle. Now, because you yeah. said that you don't want the title of an expert, that's because you're always you know things are always changing, so you don't know if you'll be the same level of expert now as you will in six months or a year. Absolutely. And that's what makes a difference because that's what makes you the quality standard. But the standard you're setting for yourself is why people expect the level of uh, quality from you because you know mm. you have expertise, but you are not always going to be a fixed expert unless you keep learning. Do you know what? It's funny you should say that because that, for me, was a real game changer when it came to sales in my business. Mm. When I almost stopped, we had this conversation off air. It's like, sounds like this might sound a bit preachy, and it's not supposed to, but it's almost that when you're working hard, that's because your life is hard work. <laughs> um, so when you're trying really hard to sell, that's because it's really hard to sell. Mm. And I've actually found that by just taking a step back and, and relaxing from this and almost just kind of saying, do you know what? We don't sell, we introduce. I will introduce what we do to somebody and if they like the sound of it, they're going to resonate with it and then we'll have that sales conversation. But for me, I mean, and this is one of the misconceptions that I have definitely was I probably could have also replaced the word sales earlier in my career with convince. I wasn't trying to sell to somebody. I was trying to convince somebody. Um, And and that's the problem with a lot of it out there. A lot of people, I, one of the big things I talk to people about, and I literally just done a post on my, my Instagram about this today, and I say to everyone out there, if you're in a sales presentation, you should go for the close or go for asking for the order on every single one. But mm-hmm. you also should, before you get to a presentation stage, build enough interest and qualify the person before the presentation to know that mm-hmm. they are of interest, they've got some desire, it's in their bracket, it's on their radar. All these things matter first. What happens in a lot of sales environments, they get given a list of people, they phone up, hi, John, I've got the best thing you've ever needed in your life. This is what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. And that's the problem. And that's the experience a lot of people have with sales. When actually, Mm. everything you have now has been sold to you. Everything you have in front of you, whether it's a TV, um, a table, a sofa, someone has sold that to you or you sold yourself. But it's not happened. Yep. Absolutely. And do you know what? That selling to yourself is a is a really big one that I think a lot of business owners in particular, I mean, there'll be lots of them listening to this show. And that's the dream scenario for any business owner is that somebody sells them yourself, your your solution. We Again, we were having this conversation up there, so I don't mm. mind sharing it. We I had this very experience yesterday. Um, it, somebody had uh, sent us a media inquiry to bring me onto their radio show as a guest, and they're, they're based over in New Zealand. And we were having this conversation and they said, look, we've been through your website. We had a look at what you do. Um, we can't stretch to your full Monty training package, but we can do you one for $10,000. I think, that, you know, and then they spent the next 15 minutes telling me why it was so perfect. for them. I didn't sell anything. They sold it entirely to themselves, almost to the point where it felt fun. It was like, this is easy. This is lovely. This, um, you know, using that, that example of the, the guy with the Ferrari again, it was that it very much felt like that. Yeah. Somebody's just walked into the showroom and sold it to themselves. And if that was your but, first ever deal, you'd be absolutely in trouble. Exactly. But you know what? I'm not. I'm not naive to the fact that that happened because of all the additional work, exactly. the radio shows, the podcast, the 
the appearing on other people's shows, the 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 articles, the website, like it, it's all led to that point. That you know, somebody didn't just randomly call me up and say, "Hey, I got a good feeling about you and want to give yeah, you exactly. some money." They didn't just spin the wheel and hope for the best. All no, the, all the groundwork for you done. Like, like people talk about the Usain Bolt analogy, and they work out. I can't remember it was. But it was like the race he runs in X amount of seconds. He earns this much money. It works out. He earns this much per second. Um. But to get to that standard took him 20 years. Yeah, of course it did. Do you know what? It's like they, they, they say that about um, like professional services, don't they? Because I do a lot of work with professional services companies. And it's like you go to a, a really sort of high-profile accountant or a lawyer even, yeah. and they're going to charge you a couple of hundred, if not thousand pounds, to have a conversation with you that might last 30 to 40 minutes. Or they might do something in a 10-minute period and you go, you did, that took you 10 minutes and you've, you've sent me a massive invoice. And it's like, yeah, but that 10 minutes took six years worth of study and yeah, yeah. 15 years worth of infield experience to be able to do that in 15 minutes. If you want, I could have stretched it over four hours. Would you feel better about it then? <laughs> there was an, there's a story I remember hearing years ago, and it was about some a guy at a factory. I remember the exact story. And it was literally, you know, the machine stopped working, so they can't make anything in the machinery. Uh, they can't produce in the factory. So they call the engineer in. He goes, here's my invoice. And the invoice is whatever, £1,000. And yep. they were like, yeah, great noise. How quick can you do it? They go, just pay it now, and I'll get it done straight away. So the guy begrudgingly pays it straight away. But the guy gets his screwdriver out, walks over to the machine, turns a click, and it's done. Fine, it's done. He's like, is that it? Why am I paying a thousand pounds? He said, do you want me to take more time? Yeah. Like he said, you're paying me to know which turn screw to turn. My experience yes. tells me, but it's only a screw. So some people could come in here and take all your machines apart and take a week, a week of not working, a week of lost earnings, a week of all this stuff, when actually mm. you're paying me a thousand pounds to know the screw to change to the time. Definitely. And it does no, make I a big difference. I, I, it really I, does. I think that's what comes with time and with experience. And I think a lot of people out there, you know, when we talk about things like sales, especially, some people are more natural in sales. They are a mm. naturally better communicator. But they're not. They just started doing it sooner. Um, you've got those mm. people out there, those kids who've just got natural confidence. So by the time they get to being 20, they've actually been confident since they were four. Other kids yes. don't become confident until they're 18. Now, if you don't develop yes. confidence till you're 18 and you go against someone who's been confident since they were four, mm. you would expect to not be as confident. And so it's about that experience. Unfortunately, a lot of our experiences that we learn, we hold on to the negative ones a heck of a lot more than the positive ones that we've got. And I think a lot mm. of what we need to do sometimes can be unlearning things as much as learning new things. Massively. I, I am really big on that, and especially when it comes to sales, if I'm honest, because I think a lot of people um, – you know, they say they're going into a sales call. So it's almost like they put on their sales glasses yeah, and yeah. they see the world completely differently. Um, you know, it's uh, like, like that conversation I had yesterday. That conversation was a media inquiry. I was not selling anything and it didn't feel like a sales yeah. call, but the result ended up exactly where I wanted it to. In fact, it probably ended up better than if I had tried to go down the sales route. Um, it was just so much more natural. But I, I have a question for you, actually, because I get asked this quite a lot oh. by by customers and clients and all this kind of stuff and i'm really fascinated to hear your answer do you have to be an extrovert to be good at sales no think of it like think instead of thinking about extroverts think about accents imagine you're from yorkshire and mm -hmm. you've got someone who lives in the center of london the different way that those people speak can quite easily put everyone off. The London guy might mm. not want to deal with the Yorkshire guy because he talks so slow and it's a different tone. We have different things that strike chords with us in a positive and a negative way. And mm -hmm. I think now there's a big difference in it. I think years ago, to get the sales job, you would need to be that way. Because, not because yeah. you couldn't do the job, because the manager or the business owner expected that of a salesperson so they wouldn't have hired them. Um, mm -hmm. If you think now, for, I don't know how the age of your the, the list is, but most people out there will remember the old analogy about tattoos. Oh, if you've got tattoos, you'll never get a job. Well, yeah, I remember that's that. because <laughs> the people hiring wouldn't have it because there was too much judgment out there. The thing yes. that changed that was the internet because suddenly you've got 17 year olds that are making 
X amount of millions of pounds. You've got people that are making money based on ideas that are covered yes. in tattoos or whatever. So how can they suddenly say, oh, you can't be this, you can't be that? So suddenly there's a more of a level playing field. And people, mm. sales is different now. Sales now, you have to be more of an expert. So yeah, one of the big things that I'm really interested in was, we were talking about a story recently, and we were talking about, if you imagine taking a basketball player from the 1950s, and if you have never watched 1950s basketball, I'm not a big fan, go and watch the low level of skill that was there. Now, am I saying they were no good? No, I'm not saying they weren't. They were terrible. But today's standards, they were. Mm. So imagine taking that same standard from the 50s to now. Take a footballer. We've all heard the stories about the 1960s when people were like the big footballers are going out drinking, literally coming home at five in the morning, yeah, coming over sure. to heck and going straight on the pitch. Yeah. The standard in everything now is so much higher. So the expectation is so much higher. So people now, buyers are smarter than they've ever been before. They're more educated. You have at your fingertips every day a wealth of, I mean, I can literally ask any question by saying, hey, Siri, I've done it now, I'm going to start. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you can do that, right? You can, you of course you can. read and write. Someone can set a phone up. I had it at school, and they were like, oh, don't use a calculator because you won't always have a calculator in your pocket. Put it here. We yeah, literally do you know have... what? It's so funny. Do you know what? One of the things I enjoy watching, and it's so funny you should say this, and I don't know why it's not part of the rules, right? Why they're so against this. But if you ever, I'm sure you've watched The Apprentice. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy The Apprentice. But what I never understand is every season they have a challenge where the teams are given lists of really random things that mm. they have to find out what they are, firstly, and then secondly, go and find out where to buy them. And I'm just thinking, but this isn't a true representation of business because business, you Google that. You would just Google what it was. Or the other thing that they've never seemed to be able to do, so it must be against the rules, is I I know a lot because I have a great network around me. I don't know everything. I would pick up the phone to someone and go, hey, mate, what's this? (laughs) and Where can I get it? And they don't do that either. So it's not a true representation of business. I, I agree. I, I, I agree with the first part about the internet. I think you should be able to do that. I, but I think on the flip side, the network side doesn't give a true representation of that person on the program. Yeah, that's, that's it. Right. Imagine if you're in your 40s and you've been doing it going against an 18-year-old. Having yeah, your, network, your network doing all the work would be different. But I agree, the internet should be able to be a YouTube because it's such a prevalent part of it. Yes. Um, I just think that the standard is so high now. And mm. I think the big problem is we've lifted our standard in so many areas that it comes down to so many people with sales and we get a little bit of experience and then we, we've got a few deals under our belt and we're at our potential. And one of the questions I ask people all the time is, how much money, because money is always a big thing for sales, how much money is the most you'll ever earn in your lifetime from sales? And I'll say, whatever, X amount. Say they say, I don't know, 15,000 pounds. Okay, mm. how much have you earned as a maximum now? Like 2,000. How are you going to get to that gap? Mm. Because people think it's just an automatic thing. I'm just going to get the money. Yeah. Or say, out of your potential, what percentage of your potential are you hitting right now? Because everyone's great to say, oh, I'm doing really well. Okay, your potential, I don't know, 30%. How are we going to expose the other 70? Mm-hmm. And when people, it, and this is what happens a lot of times, so we're asking the wrong questions a lot mm-hmm. of the time out there. But the reason I ask these questions people is not to try and put them down or to make them feel silly, it's to give them my glasses and go, listen, I've seen how high people can soar. Yes. And I yes. think you have the potential to soar to that level, but there's going to be stuff we need to do. When we hear about the stories about millionaires where people win the lottery and becoming a millionaire, I think the stats are. People on average lose X amount of people lose all of it within seven years. Yeah, yeah. That's because they've got the money, but they haven't got the mindset. The mindset hasn't changed. Absolutely. Yeah. Often that is exactly the reason why so many businesses aren't flourishing. They look at their competitors and they go, how come they're doing so well and we're not? When we do the same thing, we'll have the same sort of price. And, we'll, and it's like, do you know what? The answer is it's the mindset. Uh, I was having this conversation with somebody just the other day about their, their law firm. They have like 30 legal professionals in their law firm. Yeah. And they were saying one of the things that they don't get is it's a constant struggle for them 
um, to win enough business uh, and retain enough business. Meanwhile, right. they have competitors who have you know firms of hundred plus people, and they don't understand how they're achieving it and they're not. And I said, yeah. well, yeah, how much work do you think you have? And they said, well, we have enough potential for realistically 20, 20 consultants full-time we'd be comfortable, but we've got 30, so it's a constant struggle to try and reach that. And I said, right, right there is your problem. It's a mentality thing. If you were planning on having a firm that employed a 1,000 of these people, winning business for 30 of you would be a drop in the ocean. You could do it in half yep. a day. Right, But because you're thinking 20 is where we are, but we're at 30, you're looking up to a target rather than looking down on it. Whereas that competitor of yours that might have 100 people, they're planning on having a business that does 250, 300 of those and people. It, it hits it on the head so much. And I, I think that changes. I actually done an ebook on mindset because I think it's very easy for us to think I feel great. Look mm. at it like happiness, right? If you look at happiness and someone comes to you and goes, listen, I want to show you something to make you even happier. Oh, I'm happy enough already. Okay. I know you're yeah. happy, but if someone dropped you in the Maldives right now, yeah. would you feel happier than you do right now? They would just smile. Like, no, no, no. I don't. And you'll get the people who like, I don't care about the Maldives. But if you took them to their dream place, would you yeah. be happier right now? Well, yes. Okay. Well, that's what a lot of people are trying to do. A lot of people want to get to that happiness, but they're so busy on the day-to-day -day yeah, grind Love it. But they're just not going to that stage. And this is what sales coaches want to do things I have. It's getting people to literally take a step back. Let's look at stuff. How much time do you do this? How much time do you do that? Where's your struggles? Where's your pain points? What's the main thing you're focused on? And these are things that a lot of people don't ask in any sales environment. Yes. Instead, they're like, Whatever. This is my this plant. This is the best plant you've ever seen in your life. Buy my plant. It's green. Yeah. It's great. It's, uh, uh, uh. Instead of being like actually finding out, do they need a plant? Do they even like plants? It's like, the, it's like people... that scene in Wolf of Wall Street, isn't it? When he's like the sell me the pen thing. No, I hate yes. that in interviews and stuff. But it uh, the message behind that. I mean, I've actually read Jordan Belford's book Straight Line. It's it's a it's a phenomenal. Uh, the Straight Line sales technique is a phenomenal technique. But do you know what? It's so much about. Um, it's there's that clip, isn't there, at the end of the film when it, yeah. when he's actually doing the sales training in that room, yeah. and he's like, "Sell me this pen." It's like, uh, "It's great pen. It's blue. It's uh, it's," and it's like, "No one cares, right? That's not why they're buying a pen. Do they have okay. a reason to buy a pen? Do they need a pen right now? <laughs> you know, supply and demand. It's like, do they have a demand because you have the supply? If they don't yeah. have a demand for it, you're wasting your time having that conversation. Or that could be the best pen in the world. Show them the light. Yeah, or you have to show them like move. I think, you know, the big problem with that film is, and it's not a problem for normal people in the film, but a lot of people that are in sales mm. watch the film, and this is the problem a lot of time in life, is what we take in. They watch the yeah. movie scene, you know, at the burger joint, and he tucks in the pen, and he's yeah. like, roll right down my name. I don't have a pen. See, supply and demand. And the amount of time that people say that, Oh, write down my name. I don't have a pen. I've got to buy it. But it doesn't necessarily work. But yeah. what we're trying to do in the film is show a different way of going into it to create an urgency. Exactly. Obviously, there's a lot more that goes into it. And it still amazes me now in that people that, like we say, they've had some degree of success or they've gone in. If you're in a small pond, if you work in a company and there's only three people, or say, I don't know, I said three, that's four. Say four people, and you're getting two deals a day. And everyone else is getting two deals a week. Very easy to think you're killing the game. Yeah. But it could be a company down the road doing the same product where someone's getting 20 deals a day. Yeah, exactly. You could be the worst performer. You could get sacked for your performance in another competitor's company. It's so true. But, but because we're in that pond, we don't realize. Um, and I think the one thing is that different buying personality types. Some people are very driven by doing the best today every day. Now, that's cool. That's yeah. great. I think a lot of people aren't. Mm. A lot of people need accountability. And a lot of people don't want accountability and because of their previous experiences with bosses. And this is why we've, I think you'll probably agree with this. With coaching, is very different because you're incentivized as a coach. You're, if you've got a good coach anyway, your whole thing is you want to see someone go from here to Definitely. here to here. You want to see, so you're only going to tell them stuff they want to do. You're only going to make them accountable to the stuff that's going to help them. Absolutely. A boss, if you're accountable to a boss, you're do, you're accountable to what he wants 
for what he wants. Yes. Absolutely. Rather than what he, you need to get what you want. And I think that's such a big difference with it. And I think it a lot really of people, is. And a lot of people just doubt. There's skeptics out there. And I just, I, I understand there's reasons to be skeptical. But I also think some people out there are skeptical because of things that didn't even happen to them. They're like, they look at a lot of people, I don't want to get into racism and stuff. A lot of inherent stuff, a lot of stuff we know now, there's a lot of stuff we believe, we grew up with, our friends believe, we saw on TV, snippets we heard. It wasn't actually our decisions, but it's just stuck there in our head. Um, In the same way when we're talking about mindset, when we talk about people, you know when you get a thought in your head and you're like, oh, you can't do this. And this is what I find interesting. I read something a couple of years ago about this. and said, if it's someone saying, like, if I said, I can't do this, if I'm going, I can't do this, I can't do this, that's me talking to me. If yeah. I'm going, yeah. you can't do this in my own head, that's me echoing someone else saying that to me. Absolutely. It's a really Because otherwise I'd use the word I. If I'm saying the word you can't, that's me echoing someone else's thoughts. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And I was always a you can't do this type of guy. And I can't. I was always you can't. Because I was echoing things that other people had told me. And that one word, that one single word changing from you to I changed the whole belief system I had. Mm. I love that so much. And do you know what? I had a very similar moment, actually. Mine was about my network that I surrounded myself with because what I would find was I'd have this idea about something and then I'd ask the people around me who were in the same limited place that I was. Uh, you know, I'd ask family members. I'd ask my friends who are in the same position that I was, and I'd say, "Hey, could I do this?" And they go, "No, of course you can't." I'm like, that's, "That's not possible. You can't do that." But then, if you go and speak to people who are, you know, for example, we our network's called Billionaires and Boxers. There are several billionaires in my network. Some of the ideas I talk to about billionaires with, it's like, "Yeah, of course you can. Why? Why? Why could? In fact, you could. You could probably a hundred times that if you really wanted to. You just do this, this." And they've got a completely different mindset on this. But no, I talk about it as paradigms a lot. We take a lot from our from our parents, especially um, my, I mean, I'm not going to diss her, but my mother, for example, gave me lots and lots of really negative things about money that I really had to put down. She's a very religious woman. So it was the whole, um, it's harder for a, 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 you know, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, the rich man to get into heaven. Um, it was always the rich people that were wrong. It's like, look at these yeah. rich bankers, look at these wealthy billionaires, everybody else is struggling and they're not doing enough to help. The planet is screwed and they're not doing anything. It was always money's kind of evil. Like money is the yeah. root of all evil kind of thing. And, and actually that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, look, if you're a bad person, you're a bad person with or without money. If, yeah, if you're 100%, a hundred percent, if you're a you're good just, your person, circle, your reach is just a lot more when you've got money. So yeah. if you've got a lot of money and you mm-hmm. do bad stuff, you can escalate it. If you've got no money and you're a bad person, it's limiting what you can do. But it's the other way too. If you've got money and you're a good person, you can help more people. You can have more of an impact. You know, just using him as a, as a prime example, look at Akon, the singer. He managed to oh. give electricity to Africa. Something Did you that, hear how he done that? Because I think he not actually, fully. So he didn't even use his money. He leveraged his reputation I love it. and I he love basically it. brokered it yeah I and mean, he's basically it was something it's, it's something ridiculous like 20 million people mm-hmm. now have electricity off of those actions and if you imagine writing that down i'm going to give out electricity to 20 most people are like no you can't and yeah, I, no, I think you're yeah. so true i think you're so true I, someone said to me before about the army with this if you go to the army imagine you're in the army and you're i don't even know the ranks it's say like you're a private i think that's yeah. american whatever the corporal isn't going to come down and start moaning about what the lieutenant said, or it's not going to come down. Problems go up, and it's the same with our paradigm. Mm-hmm. If you've got friends there that are going to help and support you, that's great. Have people there to leave. If, you've got, if you want to move forward, you have to go to people that have got the knowledge that can get you to it. Absolutely. And not because they've seen the map, not because they've got sat-nav and they can program it in their phone, because they have walked it. Yes. Barefoot, through the class, felt the pain, nearly gave up all the hurdles and got to the other side. Mm-hmm. Too much stuff out there. Too many people out there are going to the wrong person for it because it gives them an out. Mm-hmm. Look at your parents. Like we say about parents, I, I, my, my parents were amazing when I was younger 
and we don't get on uh, as much anymore. We have different mindsets, different mm-hmm. opinions. And you see your parents as a child, as no fault, perfect, they know hero, everything. all the stuff. And actually, you see from now, I've got a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, and I'm like, I tell my kids, I'm not perfect. I tell yeah. them when I make mistakes because the lessons that I learned, I'm grateful for the lessons I learned from my parents. And some were things to do and some were things not to do. Yes. And now that makes me a better father. Absolutely. And I think with a lot of the stuff we do, if I said to my mum, and we all can probably associate this, should I go and do this? As a parent, as a mum, you would much rather see your kid not potentially get to the ceiling, but have a risk of not going down here. So they'd rather stay a sensible, calm, happy life without yeah. too much yeah. risk, because although we want them to succeed, we don't want it at the risk of losing stuff. But actually, if you're someone who wants to succeed, far, far, you want, you'd rather take the chance than lose the risk. Like if if a dad happens, it will come back from it. But it's worth the risk to get to this high level. It's worth the risk to get to these heights. You need to find someone who's got that same mindset. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, there is no, there's no safety in scarcity. Um, that playing it safe doesn't actually help anybody. Look at um, everyone in corporate jobs. Yeah, precisely. Oh, be a corporate man. You'll be safe. Get, Go yeah, how, many times have you, how many times? You'll I mean, be safe. Loads of people will have heard this, right? There'll be there'll be business owners that have listened to this that when they've been going through a hard time have heard that uh, chalk on a on the on the board on the nails on a chalkboard kind of thing, which is shouldn't you go and get a job like should you go and get a real job well guess what like we're the ones who are doing okay and the people who had a real job have been retrenched and made redundant and that's no criticism of them that's what they've been taught that that is what's safe for them but i cannot stress like when when i said this to people when i first set up they they couldn't believe that i was leaving a really high paid corporate job to go and set up on my own i said it's so risky and i said I don't understand that mentality. You have one job and one salary. If that company closes down, you're all looking for a new job at the same time. Me, I can work with five to 10 clients every single month. And if one or two of them go because they've, they've done or they can't afford it or they're, they're finished or they've learned that bit now so they move on, I go and find two others to replace them. So I'm never in the same position that you are. You literally have all of your eggs in one basket. I, I think this is with skill sets as well. I, hence, I mean, again, with sales. If you're in sales now, say you're you're kicking backside, you're doing well, or even if you're doing okay, if you decide you want to go from where you are right now mm-hmm. to going to um, a different industry, the majority, a good 60%, 70% of what you have as a sales ability is transferable to any industry. Mm-hmm. If you've sold cars for 20 years and now you want to go and sell phone systems B2B, you can walk in and have a structure to use that. You want to set up your own business. Tell me a business out there that doesn't need sales. Yeah. Like it, it's a, it's a skill set. Communication is a skill set. The internet, unless we suddenly go to an apocalyptic lifestyle, the internet's always going to be here. Unless you go to North Korea, or there's an apocalypse. Yeah. So learning that skill set is there. Learning the ability to be able to do that is there. Uh, someone said to me about copy before. Copy's an interesting one I've got. Because I'm like, tech's so clever now. You think about, you ever used to see the, the film crews in helicopters with cameramen? Yeah. <laughs> I saw a picture of that. Like 20 years ago, they thought they had a job for life. Now you can buy a 199-pound drone, yeah. an iPhone, <laughs> and you get better quality. <laughs> you do, yeah. Right? And it's cheaper. Yeah. Imagine how it costs to hire a cameraman in a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, you can just do it on a drone. And I think, okay, well, things are copy. Everything's getting voice activated, all this stuff. Will sales get more unsafe? Yes, there's things like many chat and all this stuff. But the ability to communicate effectively with people is always going to be something which is going to be needed. Mm-hmm. Until we get to the stage where we're all living in a bubble um, and... Um, we're living in some fake universe online, but even then you'll still be well, hopefully talking. So oh, communicating yeah. Oh, yeah. Is, is a skill set. And I think it's a skill set which a lot of people can use, but whether they use it effectively or not it, it is a big, big difference. So it's exciting to see how tech will change that, I think, as well. 
I love that so much. So, look, take away from this then, definitely, because believe it or not, we're at the end of the show. I mean, we could have done several, really? several shows on the on, on mate. Tell me about it. We need to do another one. But yes. I think the main oh, takeaway definitely. points from this are definitely the the communication piece. It is that relationship building, but it's also the mindset. I think, you know, if you want to change something in your business or, or, or your sales approach or whatever it is, you've got to start with that mindset because, you know, you can learn all the skills and tricks and trades and then going, you know, how many people go and buy like a new tool? Like I know loads of business owners like this that constantly live on AppSumo and it's like, right, there's this new sales automation tool and we're going to buy this and just plug it into the business. And unless you change that mindset, you're just going to get the same results. It's you know, so true. Nothing's going to change. David, you're an absolute superstar. Thank you so much for your time. Just before we go, uh, for our audience members who've listened to this and thought, I love this guy. He's brilliant. How can they get in touch with you, mate? How can they learn more about the network? Um, easiest thing to do is Instagram. Everyone's got it. So go on to and just search for Sales Angel. I've changed it to a catchy uh, tagline. Love it. And being the name David Angel, it makes sense. So just search for Sales Angel. Um, and on there, I'm a big believer in giving out some. I don't believe in giving everything away for free, but I believe in giving content because um, I know that this is a hard decision for people to start relearning. Mm-hmm. So I put content out daily. Um, and if you go on there and there's a link in my bio on the Sales Angel on Insta where you can access free ebook. There's about an hour's worth of free content. Plus, there must be 200 different carousels and video sections on there. Mm-hmm. And you can message me direct on there and sort of find out more. And at a minute for the next month, I'm going to be doing away 50 free strategy calls where wow. people can jump on a call and get specific about what they can do or how I can help before they have to outlay, which normally costs about £150. But... I want to see if I can give back a little bit and find those people that are on the fence and want a bit of help for either their business or what we do personally and get people moving forward, really. Do you know what, mate? I absolutely love that. And and one of the main reasons I wanted you on the show is that you're a very honest guy. And that's what I love about you is that, you know, some people, they go into a coach and that coach will just tell them whatever they want to hear so that they can win their business. You and I share very much in common that if somebody says something that sounds ludicrous or we're not the person to help them, then we'll let them know that. Um, but do you know what? I love the whole mindset piece. I love that that's where you start and it's about changing that first. So I, I highly recommend that people come and have that conversation and uh, and check it out. Thank you so much again for all of your time. I really appreciate Thanks, it. Anytime. Um, I hope our audience have really taken away a lot from this. If you do have any questions for either David, the sales angel, I love that, or yeah, myself, definitely. obviously just get in touch with us on social media. Uh, I've been Phil Pellucci. You've been listening to Billionaires in Boxers. Thank you so much for your time. This is Billionaires in Boxes, empowering 1 billion entrepreneurs, one podcast at a time.